Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Seaweed Brain. Today's episode, finally, 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 is the end of the House of Hades. It's been a long journey for us, for you, for the people who were in hell, for the people who weren't in hell and just visited North Africa for a bit. Like, it's it's just been a while. It's been a long time. We started this in, like, August in California, I think. And now we're not there. But you know who is here is Owen. <laughs> Back again. Hi. Close it out. So stick around. <laughs> April Fool's Day, I want us to replace our theme song with the Perry the Platypus song. How funny. <laughs> like, I have no idea how we would succeed at that, and we might get sued, but I feel like it'd be fun. Hey, wait, wait. <laughs> that sounds incredibly expensive. We blow all of our ad money on buying the rights to play Perry the Platypus one time. <laughs> anyway, hey, Owen. How's Hi, it been? Love. It's been fine. It's, it's been, been a okay. while. It's been a while since we've seen you. Yes, yes, yes. The start of this book, you know, I'm bookending the book. This is what this is what I'm doing. Yeah, Owen was so special. We had to have Owen bookend this book that has taken us literal months to get through, but not not in a bad way. Like we wanted to do it this way. We wanted to give it the time it deserved. Yes. I was looking at my shelf earlier, getting the book down. Um, <laughs> and it is the thickest book up there from Rick's work. It's long, but also, like, things happen, you know, which is not true of all the other books that are of approximately <laughs> equal length. So it's good that we did yeah, what we I'm did. I'm feeling positive about my decisions <laughs> and my choices. Oh, and you're, like, a monthly podcast, so do you want to, like, give a quick recap of the subjects that you've been covering the past couple <gasps> months? Oh, gosh. What? Hang on. Uh... Pull up your own podcast on Spotify so you can read the title. <laughs> Probably shape-shifting, I think, was after. I've done death, uh, the eternal nothingness, which was, you know, <laughs> I enjoyed that title. Um, and then Demigod Dreams, which dates this episode because that is the latest one to be released. Woohoo! Yeah, so if you're interested in any of those topics and you want to get a deep dive, you should check out Through the Mist. Promo, promo, promo. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get started, shall we? So we left off with Annabeth and Percy making their way out of Tartarus. But on the surface side, we left off from... Frank's perspective, raising the dead in this battle. And now we're separated from Frank. So we are on the other side of this. Hazel's kind of freaking out, but we have to proceed forward towards the doors with just Hazel and Leo. And what what occurs here is what I find to be a truly baffling (laughs) interaction between Hazel and Leo in which For some reason, I don't know if we've been reading the same book, but Hazel has been quote unquote leading Leo on this whole time. And now is the right time for her to apologize for quote unquote leading Leo on because Leo is no longer, as we will have discussed in the previous episode, no longer thirsty AF and being weird around everyone who's a female. (sighs) Yes. The language here is particularly interesting because Hazel, I believe, uses the phrase emotional baggage this is language that I feel we would associate with a very nuanced take on this. Like, it's couched in all of this framing that would lead us to believe that this is about emotional maturity. That what we're seeing here is what we would see after a lot of therapy and consultations with people. But it's not. It's not. <laughs> Over the books, Rick really has tried to shoehorn in the Frank, Hazel, Leo, love triangle thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the conclusion of that 
And depending on how much you believe that, depends on yeah. how much you believe this. Yeah, and I, this is a real question. If you were a reader of this book, anyone who's listening to this, Owen, feel free to chime in on this. If you read this book and you were like, ah, yes, the most iconic love triangle of these books between Hazel, Frank, and Leo, which I was, which was the primary dynamic and lens <laughs> through which I was reading The Heroes of Olympus, feel free to let us know that that was how you read these books. I just completely <laughs> missed most of this. Like, I knew that we were trying to make, like, fetch... Fetch never happened. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not a thing. Why are you trying to make it a thing? It's not happening. Yeah, Hazel is apologizing for something that frankly wasn't her fault when she accidentally emotion zapped him into her past that one time. I mean, I could understand apologizing for that one instance and being like, maybe that was a lot for you. I'm sorry that literally you experienced my past in which we saw your dead relative. Like, maybe that was a lot. But leading someone on, I feel, is a separate thing. And that is such a culturally fraught term from which I personally have disinvested myself very thoroughly. And I invite you all to do the same if you have not done so already. I don't I don't know what they would be pointing to, up to and including this experience of the re-experiencing of the past in which Hazel has led Leo on, even if you were to believe in such an idea and a construct and an occurrence that could happen. Was it by being nice to him? Led him on to safety? led him on to growth saving his life was it about going on <laughs> duo quests together because it was required for the accomplishing of this mission like i i don't see it that being said <laughs> you know i am grateful for at least a lack of weirdness between the two of them you know if this is what it took to get there i love to see it no weirdness between them anymore <laughs> it's so relaxing for me to read this interaction and not like feel like fear for hazel's safety around leo and then leo's like hey you know what machines are designed to work and he has this little monologue about how he sees the world like a machine oh somebody typed this out does whoever typed it out want to read it it was me I can read it. I was just going to summarize it, but since you want to read it, go ahead. I feel like it's not just about Leo's worldview here. It says, I figure the universe is basically like a machine. I don't know who made it, if it was the fates or the gods or capital G God or whatever, but it chugs along the way it's supposed to most of the time. Sure, little pieces break and stuff goes haywire once in a while, but mostly things happen for a reason. Like you and me meeting, you know, my bisabuelo Sammy knew what was what. He let you go, Hazel. My job is to tell you that it's okay. You and Frank, you're good together. okay there were a few things that i think are worth pointing out here one i feel strange about i'm a mechanic therefore intelligent design like that logical connection did not really track for me yeah no it's the thing of he wants to know the answer to everything he wants to know why like it's the question like all scientists and engineers and mechanics ask is why oh and instead what uh anything he's trying to work out why and he's like there's so much that is just so unknown i've just got to trust that the system of the natural order of the world is doing its job i've got to trust that this machine that is the universe is working how it's supposed to otherwise i'm gonna to get too overwhelmed and freak out it can't be pure randomness because that doesn't make complete sense in his worldview so i've just got to trust that it's working for something i like that he equates the universe with the capital g god because you can't be like oh yes the universe aka zeus really has a plan for us all you know (laughs) he has to go to like the fates or the capital g god is what is actually steering the ship here i think that's really worth flagging this to my memory is the first time in a great while that we have flagged oh, capital G God. Book of the Myth, I, think. I mean, I guess we talked about Christianity in the same book, 
I also feel like this last section, I felt extra icky reading this. He let you go. It's okay. You're, uh, this whole, this whole ordeal with Leo trying to have thoughts and opinions about who Hazel should be with is just very icky to me across the board. And it seems like we're done with that. Maybe it was a weird thing. I feel like it was weird for Hazel and it was weird for Leo, but it was weird for them both in different ways because Hazel was like, you're my grandfather. And Leo was like, you're a breathing woman. And because of that, they had tension. <laughs> But we're done now. Everything's done. This group dynamic is once again safe. <laughs> so they're like, well, now that it's safe, I now guess that it's safe, time. it's time to battle our bosses. And my underground senses are going to lead me to where we need to go to the house of Hades itself. Reading that, that was like the first time I noticed, oh, this is how her powers work. Her like underground powers. I just realized this time that, oh, I can't remember. We've never actually had her POV when she's been leading people underground until that point. And it was like, oh, no, she can kind of literally just almost echolocate her way through caves. Yeah, it's kind of like Rachel when Rachel was in the labyrinth. Oh, labyrinth. Where did that come from? <laughs> um, so they head down to where it feels the most dangerous and run into da, 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 the final boss, which is the unnamed sorceress. And then the giant, who we will note, is pronounced Clytius. They get dragged to the unknown sorceress and Clytius physically dragged. Magically dragged. Magically, mystically Mistopheles dragged. Um, should we read the? Wait, did you understand that reference? Oh, to Cats the musical. I hope no one understands that reference. <laughs> Sorry, I was just stuck. Um, no, where are you? I mean, I've seen it ages ago. Played the pieces enough times. Um, shall we read this description on page five thirty six just for the setting of it all? Welcome," said the woman's voice. "I've looked forward to this." Hazel's eyes swept the cavern. She couldn't see the speaker. The room reminded her of the Pantheon in Rome, except this place had been decorated in Hades modern. The obsidian walls were carved with scenes of death. Plague victims, corpses on the battlefield, torture chambers with skeletons hanging in iron cages, all of it embellished with precious gems that somehow made the scene even more ghastly. As in the Pantheon, the domed roof was a waffle pattern of recessed square panels, but here each panel was a stella, a grave marker with ancient Greek inscriptions. Hazel wondered if actual dead bodies were buried behind them. With her underground senses out of whack, she couldn't be sure. She saw no other exits. At the apex of the ceiling, where the Pantheon skylight would have been, a circle of pure black stone gleamed as if to reinforce the sense that there was no way out of this place. No sky above, only darkness. Hazel's eyes drifted to the center of the room. Yep, Leo muttered. Those are doors, all right. Fifty feet away was a set of freestanding elevator doors, their panels etched in silver and iron. Rows of chains ran down either side, bolting the frame to large hooks in the floor. It's a cool place. It's a pretty scary place, but it's cool. <laughs> like, imagine it's almost pure blackness. And then the giant, I've forgotten his name already. They're, like, almost sucking light out as well. As close to pitch black as you would possibly get it would be well freaky yeah there's this description of the giant Clytius, where hazel's pov says that his complexion was as dark as death's parenthesis hazel should know since she had met death personally close parenthesis um so like uncomplicatedly this is not this is not something saying that someone's like dark skin is equivalent to the feeling of cold death and absolute evil is definitely problematic. That is something that we should not be doing. There are other ways to establish that something is a dark place than comparing it to somebody's dark skin. Banish is also the only character who has been described specifically as being like dark skin. Like there are other people who we were told are black, 
But Hazel is always described specifically as being light-skinned, unlike Death and now also Clytius, the dark mist that is the absence of magic and lightness. We didn't need that. End of story. Um, Pasiphae, I don't remember at one point in the scene that she gets named, but it's Pasiphae. We knew it. There are <laughs> hints being dropped all over the place. I want to shout out Pasiphae's cool, sexy maze necklace that she has that's like full of like rubies that look like drips of blood. Sick. And I just thought that was cool <laughs> and I want one. And there's someone who wants to make one and put it on Etsy. I will buy it. DM me a link. <laughs> At this point, Leo is being all sassy and Hazel's like, let me just talk to her, okay? Let me just talk to Pasiphae. And Pasiphae goes, listen to your friend, be a good boy and let the women talk. And at this point, I am thinking to myself, how is this the villain? How, <laughs> what makes Pasiphae in the wrong here? At this point, I stand. I have no choice but to stand. She also earlier says, quote, I have no use for demigod boys, always so full of themselves, so brash and destructive. Nasty, filthy. She mints no words. She's not even going to acknowledge Leo. He is not worthy of her time as an adversary. And good for her, I guess. After this, we launch a little bit into her backstory. She lets us know about how she was married to King Minos, who was the son of Zeus, and did not leave a great impression for what demigods are like. We also, of course, get the story about how she was, you know, cursed to fall in love with a cow and then give birth to the Minotaur. A bull. bull. A bull. Sure. Yes. A bull's a male cow. She also doesn't trust demigods because of Theseus, <laughs> who came in, murdered her son, stole her daughter, and destroyed her life. Yeah. I mean, we get that she has had a hard time. The trauma is communicated. Hazel seems to viscerally feel that, like, really bad things happen to this person. And that is genuinely unethical that those things happen. But also this section feels very Marvel villain to me in the sense that someone was like, let me write down some ideas about what are wrong with the world. And then just make the person who has them kill 30 people right before our final scene. So we can just keep it chugging, right? It could have been interesting. And then we just fast forward it really quickly. She makes all extremely valid points. However, she decides just to go pure revenge route, which really is just unhelpful to a lot of people. Yeah, uh, Minos gets rewarded for doing bad stuff. It doesn't make sense. Yes, that story is particularly harrowing. The Minos story, her just being like, "Yes, he is currently in cahoots with your father. All of the men who ruined my life are still there and are still currently in charge, ruining other people's lives. This is bad." And you're like, "Yeah, that is bad." Yeah, but also, okay, I guess if you just hate all demigods, Shakespeare's now, one of the judges in the Void Inverse, by the way. Wait, Shakespeare is also one of the judges of the Underworld? I think they mm -hmm. Shakespeare, they mentioned Thomas Jefferson, I think, at one point, which also, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. whoa, also true. whoa, whoa, whoa. It's <laughs> all in the death episode. Go listen to that one. What? Yes. <laughs> what? Please do. Yes. Is there anything else that, I... okay, there was one other thing I wanted to say about Pasiphae. There's this passage that she delivers. Guy has given me the pleasure of dealing with you, semicolon, but Clytius is my, uh, insurance. Just between you and me as sister sorceresses, I think he's also here to keep my powers in check in case I forget my new mistress's orders. What a, what a lovely layered piece of dialogue that is. How, look at how much we're getting here. We're getting, as sister sorceresses, we're getting her saying, oh, actually, I'm not, I'm not all good with Gaia. She doesn't trust me. I don't trust her. 
we're getting some foreshadowing about the nature of Clytius's powers and how they interact with everything else. I, I find this delightful, even though there is, again, a very incorrect semicolon that really bothered me as I was typing this quote out. <laughs> uh, take it up with the copy editor. I am. Carter's writing a letter. Basically, they need to take two demigods to be sacrificed for the blood of Olympus on the Feast of Spes. We know that. So whichever two are not going to be sacrificed, they can just die. One boy, one girl, please. Thank one you. boy and one girl. Yeah. And the at this point, like the elevator doors rumble. And so we have a feeling that Persebeth is on their way. So Passive is like, listen, I don't care which two of you it is. <laughs> Let's start the battle. <laughs> yes. And gives them a countdown. Wait, there actually is one other section that I feel... Oh, you're so right. I don't have that much to say about it. But there's this passage where Hazel is like, I noticed something familiar about Pacifist's eyes. And as a reader, even rereading it this time, I was like, oh, I forget who she's talking about. Is this supposed to be something about the Minotaur? Is this supposed to be something about Circe? Or is it about... Hecate or something? No, it's about her mother. She is saying, Pasiphae reminds me of my mother because I relate to the Minotaur and I feel like this is what it looks like when you have a powerful woman who does not want me, but also feels connected to me and that she has to deal with me in some way. Wow, that's gutting. And also has been severely wronged by the men in her life to a point of pure vengeance. Yeah, that was a good comparison to draw, but also, wow, that that was a lot. That was a lot for us to experience. (laughs) I love that moment. I thought that was really cool. Bringing it back to Hazel's mom, making us Mm -hmm. think about how far she's grown from that little girl that she was back in the day when she was with her mom. So Perthabes is about to show up and they need one boy and one girl demigod to take, to sacrifice, to the Feast of Spes for Gaia to rise. And so Pasiphae is like, "Uh, whichever boy and girl want to be sacrificed, great. Whichever don't, we're just going to kill you. Let's start the final countdown, baby. It's the final (laughs) countdown. And Pasiphae starts like, all right, 12 minutes on the clock, bad bitches. Let's see how much magic we can stir up in here. And she starts whooshing the cave all around. The cavern dissolves into darkness. And it is time for Hazel's final boss battle, officially. And it's all about the mist, baby. It's all about the mist. You've reminded me, I don't know if this, I don't know if we're going to get this far in the Disney Plus series, but I feel like purely on the basis of this counting down section, they count down on Iron Chef, right? I'm imagining Padma Lakshmi doing this now. I think she would be an excellent choice. I don't know if she does um, children's television, but Padma Lakshmi's agents. Hey. Hey. Hi. You guys who are listening to the podcast. Figure out a way to submit her for this. This would be cool. (laughs) Also, thanks for listening. I'm sure you were busy about this. (laughs) (laughs) it get misty up in here it's misty and mazy it's just a whole long section of it's a whole long section of hazel freaking out while simultaneously trying to come up with a solution while leo's back there going how does this work what and just it being (laughs) magic so him not being able to do anything Yeah, and at the same time, Hazel at this point really only knows like one principle about the mist. And so she really does try to grasp onto that. And she's used it once. Well, she's been practicing, but we don't know to what extent. This is only the second time she's going to use it in like actual battle. She used it once effectively before. Now she's got to do it to someone who's already manipulating the mist. She's got to manipulate the manipulator. Yeah? And if that wasn't enough, what is it that Pasiphae is creating? What is her mist obstacle for them it's wait should we read it should we read it should we read the quote let's let's read the quote a corridor stretched out to their left and right torches guttered in iron sconces the air smelled of mildew as in an old tomb on hazel's shoulder gail barked angrily digging her claws into hazel's collarbone 
Yes, I know, Hazel muttered to the weasel. It's an illusion. Leo pounded on the wall. Pretty solid illusion. Passive laughed. Her voice sounded watery and far away. Is it an illusion, Hazel Levesque, or something more? Don't you see what I've created? Hazel felt so off balance she could barely stand, much less stink straight. She tried to extend her senses to see through the mist and find the cavern again, but all she felt were tunnels slitting off in a dozen directions, going everywhere except forward. Random thoughts glinted in her mind, like gold nuggets coming to the surface. Daedalus. The Minotaur locked away. Die slowly in my new domain. The labyrinth, Hazel said. She's remaking the labyrinth. The mother of all callbacks. <laughs> I would also like to read this. This, I think Pacifist says this shortly afterwards. Like, Leo and Hazel are like, oh shit, how is this possible? They got rid of that. Daedalus is dead. And Pacifist is like, uh-uh, no, this is real. And then she says this, quote, The maze is already awake. It will spread under the skin of the earth once more while your mortal world is leveled. You demigods, you heroes, will wander its corridors, dying slowly of thirst and fear and misery. In other words, this is not just the battle. The labyrinth is back. It is back back. Yeah, it is. It's a good callback. We're ready. We've been ready. I've been wondering this whole time, why is it Pasiphae and not a witch who we're more familiar with, who did a lot of famous witchcraft in the myth for which they were most famous? But this is worth it, I feel like. You know, we needed this. And it's back. It's so worth it. I'm like so curious about the ramifications of what it means to reopen the labyrinth. I love the idea that all of these like magical concepts that we knew of before, like the labyrinth and later like shadow travel are actually very much connected to the mist. And that the mist is sort of like a through line of how magic works in this universe. So like by using the mist to like resurrect the labyrinth, the mist makes it a reality again. Yeah. It Mm -hmm. hurts my brain a little bit, but... (laughs) That's all correct. Yeah, especially because the maze is, like, sentient. Yeah, that's debatable in the future. But that's spoilers. (laughs) Spoilers! Does the labyrinth have stronger (laughs) ramifications than, like, Trials of Apollo or anything? Like, does it ever come back again? It comes back. It does come back again a couple times. Oh, yeah. Once it's a bit more as a fun side quest, and the other bit is in between books. Oh, okay. Yeah. To link the fourth books together, I think, is so cool and (laughs) delightful. Because the labyrinth really was scary and changed the game for us the first time as far as upping the danger. It does also make sense because of the whole... I was always very vexed by the racial thing, but now, now, wow, there we go. There we go. It's just all the mess. Yeah, vexed yeah. by the way that Rachel was able to see through the labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, like, because, like, we were never told earlier, like, it is, like the mist is in the labyrinth. It is why the correct path is being obscured for you. But, like, if the idea is that, like, it's all basically the mess, then, like, of what you've course, got to do, of course. What you've got to do with the labyrinth is picture... It's the same with the underworld. As you and Olympus, they all work on the same kind of plane. So the labyrinth is this actual place that doesn't exist. See, I'm trying to explain this without talking about the Egyptian stuff. And the Egyptian stuff makes it so much easier to explain. Um, <laughs> Reference whatever you want. Reference whatever you want. So you got the Daunt, which is their magic, which is where the gods live and where all magic comes from in Egyptian mythology. And that literally sits below the earth. And there's different layers. The deeper you go, the further you get down. And you can do fun traveling through there, a bit like shadow traveling and stuff like that. And so if you say, okay, one of the layers of the Daunt is the labyrinth, because all the magic systems are linked anyway. So the labyrinth 
is a magical place. It is not a physical place. It's always been magically created through this whole cycle of belief and interaction with the things they believe in. It's very weird. Um, no, I love, yeah, that makes it like the labyrinth is like a dimension. Almost. Yeah, 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 almost. It's like a dimension and all the doors were just entrances to the dimension. It didn't exist anywhere in particular, but it linked everywhere together. I love it. I love it. I would be lying if I said that all of that stuff kind of made sense in my brain, but I'm dumb, so that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, Hazel does her thing. Hazel, like, softens the mist to her will and starts to think about how she can bend it. She's using the one principle that we have for the mist so far, which is that it's about exploiting and playing off of the preconceptions people have. So in this case, the preconception that she's starting with is that Pasiphae thinks that she is very good at magic and torturing people with magic. And Pasiphae wants to torture. She wants to torture them bad. Yes. The worse you can torture, the worse traps Hazel can think of, the more likely Pasiphae is just to be passive about it. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what Hazel's doing. She starts off by trying to like build little tunnels in it, but basically her goal is to make the labyrinth worse for them. But also as she's doing that, redirect it so that they can approach, so they can actually get close enough to passivate to fuck her up, which is what ends up happening. Yep. They open up like, like a chute, slide down into the cavern and land right on top of Pasiphae. They're all sprawled out on the floor, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious. It's like Scooby-Doo style. Um, <laughs> and then Hazel's like, okay, well, I've succeeded thus far by showing Pasiphae what she believes. Now I have to show Pasiphae what she fears most. And so she starts talking to Pasiphae about demigod kids and how, once again, she's just being defeated by insolent little demigods and creates through the mist transmutes whatever you want to say a trap door directly underneath pasiphae and then closes the trap door and traps her in who knows where a dimension something i don't know the labyrinth let's be probably the labyrinth trapped somewhere in the labyrinth and pasiphae's gone (laughs) the first time i read this i was incredibly unsatisfied by this but now it really works for me pasiphae hazel basically bullies pasiphae to death um, like she just walks up to her and is like, I'm better than you. You always thought I'd be better than you, and I am. Look at you. You are nothing. And then boom, gone, dead. <laughs> Snapped into the ether. <laughs> this whole thing also, I don't know how you guys pictured it. It felt very Inception-y to me. Doctor Strange sort of mirror dimension stuff. Yeah, yeah the, the Sorcerer Supreme, Doctor Strange slash Inception style uh, fighting. That's definitely what I feel like is going on here. Sorry to reference Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> Always sorry. <laughs> We're still on the 12-minute countdown, so even though Pasiphae is gone, we've still got Clytius here. Clytius says, not so fast, kiddos. Obviously, he doesn't say that because he doesn't talk. And the <laughs> elevator dings, and we think, oh my god, Persebeth is about to tumble out. But instead, Clytius lets go of the elevator button. No, what's going to happen? And so then what feels to me like a callback to the blue plastic hairbrush, Leo <laughs> hurls a screwdriver, which happens to press the up button and allows Persebeth to stumble out. I mean, it's probably the best shot he's ever made in his life, that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the most important. Out stumbles Persebeth. Half dead Persebeth. Exhausted, basically dead. Basically um, dead. 
it feels like it's time for Leo's final boss battle and Leo's like ready to step up. He's like, let me get my fire fists going. And then he like throws some fire at Clytius and Clytius just like knocks out Leo and he's like, nice try, kid. And turns out this whole time it wasn't Leo <laughs> whose fire was going to battle the giant of darkness. It was somebody else. Who else has been in this book? that has to do <laughs> with fire and flames and torches and lighting the way. Da-da, it's Hecate. She has a very boss-like entrance as well. Leo gets hit on the floor and then she's like, now I'm here. Welcome to your <laughs> end. All the heroes are down and then you just need that one final push and then someone bashes through the door. But then Hecate does nothing and just stands in the corner broodingly. Yeah, unfortunately, Hecate maybe isn't as powerful of a battle partner as we want, but she is lending a lot of moral support to Hazel and and a lot of, like, energy to Hazel. And Hazel has now figured out how to use the mist. That that last battle was her piecing all the pieces together, and she can now do whatever she likes, as long as she has the energy to do it, which Hecate, in this case, is providing her with. She's also literally using the mist in this battle. Like, the imagery is of a clash of these two... No, it's mist versus mist. Yeah, it's like the dark mist, whatever, anti-magic thing emanating from Clytius versus the like actual mist emanating from Hazel. They do use um, this white-black physical clashing imagery that it, I, I'm reminded... Avada Yes! Yeah. No, okay. I'm specifically thinking of the scene in the Order of the Phoenix movie where they're in the ministry and they've decided that when people apparate, good people apparate with white blurs that fly and the bad people uh-huh. operate with black blurs that fly and the battle is just the blurs hitting each other. That's what I'm envisioning here. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, I would totally, totally agree. Anyway, they're doing stuff. Hazel's doing her missed stuff. She's also physically fighting the giant. She's making some progress. She cuts one of the chains. Which, which Annabeth, which Annabeth tells her to do. Annabeth wakes up first, guys. Typical. (laughs) Hazel's holding her own, but also things are looking bad until, of course, right now, just when we need them, Nico, Piper, Frank, and Jason come crashing through. And basically at this point, Clydeus does not stand a chance against all of them. Like if Hazel was holding her own against Clydeus, then obviously once Nico, Piper, Frank, and Jason show up, they can pretty much take him down. Yeah, it's really like three paragraphs. You've got this half a chapter of just Hazel fighting him. And then it's three paragraphs of everyone else is here. Bye-bye. Yeah, and they're able to take him down. There's a line that says, Hazel was proud to see how well Piper remembered her sword fighting lessons. My heart. That is so sweet and exciting but just as we are like feeling kind of celebratory Clytius on his deathbed hazel is like it ends here epic hero she's such an epic hero she like has all of her hero catchphrases she just knows what to do (laughs) and Clytius is like it does not end my brethren have risen gaia waits only for the blood of olympus it took all of you together to defeat me what will you do when the earth mother opens her eyes so of course just when i was like oh yay everything's going well we're still not in the final book yet, so let's let's hold our horses here. <laughs> yeah. Hecate's like, okay, bye. And Hazel's like, what? Where's my thank you? Where's my good work? And Hecate's like, we'll see. And then everyone realizes who's just woken up over in the corner. Persebeth. It's Persebeth. It's Persebeth. They're back. Everyone's hugging each other. It's a nice little reunion for the most part. Except also, every time Nico is mentioned in this book, it is like someone observing Nico and being like, wow, 
he is really sad about something and Percy is nearby. And I wonder what is up with that. Like, oh my God, Nico's changed so much. I feel so bad for him. He's lived such a hard, lonely life with no one around him because he's still alone. <laughs> Hazel basically goes through all of this as the reunion is happening. Everyone else is like, you know, like Piper and Annabeth are hugging. It's a blow moment between Jason and Percy. They're like, well, we still have to get out of here. How about we shadow travel? And Nico's like, I probably can't do that right now for everyone and hazel's like actually you know what i can kind of do anything now so like let's <laughs> hold hands and shadow travel to the surface and they're able to do so easily Austin. power-ups and then they get to the surface and then Deco is holding percy's hand and he immediately yanks it away and hazel notices uh, not that anything but that um... i was so this one is like specifically it's its own paragraph Rick is just like Nico realized he was holding percy's hand and quickly let go and i was like shut hammering up. you over the head rick is like i can talk about this now so anytime they're together you will feel bad it's it you will notice it and you'll feel nasty it's a really good moment because you're like oh hazel 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 this one sentence, which isn't quite Hazel, 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 Hazel. It's not Hazel saw, it's just Nico did this thing. Yeah, it's it really stands out. Then once they're on the surface, they just kind of sit down, they plop down, they share their stories of where they've been, talk about what Frank just did, and Percy gladly renounces his praetorship to Frank. Percybeth does not want to talk about being in Tartarus yet, that's fine. Hazel thinks about how Nico was alone, 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 alone. Nico, alone, Nico... <laughs> Little lonely alone, alone Nico. Nico, as opposed to together, Persabath. And now there's like a very cute moment earlier where Hazel looks over and she's like, "Oh, Nico looks so alone. He looks so jaded and sad." But instead of just sitting with that, like Nico comes over and he like kisses Hazel on the forehead and he's like, "You're so powerful now," et cetera, et cetera. That really got me. I was like, "This is what I actually want to read about." Very good. Very good. Biggity bang bang. At this moment, Festus slash the Argo 2 rolls in with Coach Hedge. And who is on the Argo 2? It's your gal. You know it's your girl. (laughs) (laughs) And they come riding in. um, And then that is the end of the POV. So let's take a little break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so we're back. Raina's there. We have a little debrief about the fact that Raina also had a full-ass traumatic experience getting by herself to where everybody else is. Let's acknowledge that. Her Pegasus died. It's been rough for her. Pegasus aren't half-blood horses. It's really disappointing. <laughs> Wait, can you explain? Was that, you mean like because they're birds and horses? Oh, no, 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 no. So there's the Pegasus who is immortal. And then all the other Pegasus eye from him, he might be like a cell and just split into two, but I doubt that. So <laughs> they're, mo- <laughs> they're most likely a mixture of the immortal Pegasus and a regular horse, meaning they're half-blood mm. horses. But then... That makes a lot of sense. Percy says that this one dusts, and it really ruined my theory I had a while back. Because I looked for that line and I didn't spot it, and then I spotted it when rereading. I'm like, no. But only monsters dust, which means they can't be half-bloods. They end up in Tartarus if they dust. 
Uh, it really is interesting because where were the Pegasi and Tartarus? We didn't see them. Yeah, they were chilling on like <laughs> Domison's farm somewhere. I'm just going to ignore that yeah. fact that he de- that that um what is it? I've forgotten the name of the poster. Skippy. Uh, Scorpio. Like the peanut butter. Scipio. <laughs> Something like that. I'm just ignore that fact that they dusted and just gonna continuously believe that they're half blood horses because it makes it more fun. That's really sad. Where are all the sweet animals that just happen to technically be monsters end up in Tartarus? I just was like, why? Why would you open this chapter by killing Raina's Pegasus? That is literally so sad. <laughs> There's a lie that's like Percy figured she'd given up too much in her life already, and I was like, she has. Why would you do this? But I don't know. I guess it was important for the whole. They need another way back. Yeah, they need to find out another way. Make it more challenging for them to get back. But this is just delightful. I mean, wow. After a book of so much violence and so little calm togetherness to have this moment where they're all just kind of sitting down on the grass and they're having a little picnic they're all chatting the group dynamic is amazing it's like almost purely dialogue for like a whole chapter it's like reyna and annabeth both ganging up on percy reyna says something like you couldn't find your way out of a paper bag without yeah (laughs) adorable percy drinking in the sight of annabeth and the sunlight now that they're back together in the mortal world reyna naturally disliking leo and everyone being like yeah (laughs) i guess she just hates leo reyna also (laughs) accepts frank in a moment of like tension where everyone's like i feel like she will probably hate him because she maybe is classist or something and reyna is like i am classist but in a way that is accepting of frank rather than opposing him and we're all like cool good we like that (laughs) Mm -hmm. they chat about what to do next after you know a lot of deliberation the game plan reyna is taking the parthenos back to camp half-blood because of some group visions and ideas that that is going to help and the rest of the squad is going to sail on the argo to to athens they have 14 days from tomorrow before the feast of spez to make it there but how are they going to get there? Well, didn't Pasiphae reopen the labyrinth? Yes, but it's too unpredictable to travel via the labyrinth. So Nico volunteers to shadow travel the statue with Reyna. And Coach Hedge is also going to go with them because, as we know, he is married and has a baby on the way. Only Frank knows that. Oh, yeah. Only Frank knows for some reason. I don't know why he's being all brand new about that. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Hazel says, we're at another crossroads. The Athena Parthenos goes west. The Argo 2 goes east. I hope we chose correctly. She gets so many epic lines <laughs> now that she's like a full sorceress. I love the idea that she just is speaking in like in poetry all the time. <laughs> it's like Shakespeare where like some people speak nicely and some people don't. Our bodunk country humpkins. Yeah. <laughs> also the Hecate, the Hecate reference as well, because she's been such a big part of this book and she's also like a goddess of the crossroads and of decisions and paths. Literally just it's, we're going to do a mirror of, that first set of chapters with that one line so good <laughs> so neat so clean so tidy but wait if we sail to athens on the day that gaia wants to spill our blood isn't that like walking directly into a trap yeah it is whatever right we can't avoid the prophecies we know at this point that doesn't work we've just got to play it out and fighty fight fight when we get there and do our best yeah by sunset, it's time to part ways. Percy finds Nico strapping up the Athena Parthenos <laughs> to his back, which makes literally no sense. I love it. I love that image. Tiny Nico <laughs> and the giant. It's adorable with the backpack that's way too big. <laughs> More Percy Nico tension with a little added Annabeth tension there. Reyna gave Annabeth a hug. 
We will succeed, she promised. I know you will, Annabeth said. Can we take a moment? Erica put a lesbian flag in the notes. (laughs) (laughs) I know that this is two sentences, and yet... It rocks my whole world. <laughs> Think about how far these two have come from the moment they laid eyes on each other and were like, I know you, you're me. Can I trust you? To this moment of, I trust you. I know you're going to get through. Like, we got this together. I just love it. They know that right. A Reina <laughs> Annabeth standalone novel would be literally just too powerful. What about a Reina Thalia one? Yeah, that would we be- We probably a- will not get either of these, but you know, we are going to get- Oh no, the Reina, the Reina Thalia one could very well happen. Well, okay, maybe, I guess. The only one that we're sure we're going to get is a Reina Nico book hidden within <laughs> whatever it is that we're about to experience. Yeah, we are about to get a Reina Nico standalone novel, which is how we will be treating the book, The Blood of Olympus. That is how I have always thought of this book, um, frankly. (laughs) They apparate, shadow travel in a fit of light and shadow at sunset, like on a hill. Can you? Oh, it's beautiful. Such a cool image. Sunset behind them, this ginormous statue, and then whoop. You know, like the port keys, when they all touch a port key and they frunk in on each other? That's definitely so the statue is the port key in this? <laughs> or it's it's Nico. Nico is the port key. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the Argo 2 sailed after nightfall. They veered southwest until they reached the coast, then splashed down in the Ionian Sea. Percy was relieved to feel the waves beneath them again. It would have been a shorter trip to Athens overland, but after the cruise experience of the mountain spirits in Italy, they decided not to fly over Gaia's territory any more than they had to. They would sail around the Greek mainland following the routes that Greek heroes had taken in the ancient times. That was fine with Percy. He loved being back in his father's element, the fresh sea air in his lungs and the salty spray on his arms. He stood at the starboard rail and closed his eyes, sensing the currents beneath them. But images of Tartarus kept burning in his mind. The river Phlegathon, the blistered ground where monsters regenerated, the dark forest where Arai circled overhead in the blood mist clouds. Most of all, he thought about a hut in the swamp with a warm fire and racks of drying herbs and draken jerky. He wondered if that hut was empty now. Annabeth pressed next to him at the rail, her warmth reassuring. I know, she murmured, reading his expression. I can't get that place out of my head either. Damason, Percy said, and Bob. I know, her voice was fragile. We have to make their sacrifice worth it. We have to beat Gaia. Percy stared into the night sky. He wished they were looking at it from the beach on Long Island rather than from halfway around the world, sailing toward almost certain death. He wondered where Nico, Reyna, and Hedge were now, and how long it would take them to make it back, assuming they survived. He imagined the Romans drawing up battle lines right now and circling Camp Half-Blood. Fourteen days to reach Athens. Then one way or another, the war would be decided. Over the bow, Leo whistled happily as he tinkered with Festus's mechanical brain, muttering something about a crystal and an astrolabe. Amidships, Piper and Hazel practiced their swordplay, gold and bronze blades ringing in the night. Jason and Frank stood at the helm, talking in low tones, maybe telling stories of the Legion, or sharing thoughts on being Praetor. We've got a good crew, Percy said. If I have to sail to my death, you're not dying on me, seaweed brain, Annabeth said. Remember? Never separated again. And after we get home... What? Percy asked. She kissed him. Ask me again once we defeat Gaia. He smiled, happy to have something to look forward to. Whatever you say. As they sailed farther from the coast, the sky darkened and more stars came out. 
Percy studied the constellations, the ones Annabeth had taught him so many years ago. Bob says hello, he told the stars. The Argo Two sailed into the night. Oh my god. <sighs> those last lines, those last oh oh my god. Looking back at the crew, oh my god, after they're finally reunited again, the seven is all together. It's just them, right? There's no more Coach Hedge, there's no Nico. Last time you'll ever be in Percy's head again. Yeah, it's just Percy, like, looking back at his teammates and in some way, like, relinquishing that narrative. Because, like, like, this is the last time we've ever gotten Percy's perspective. And it's like he's letting yeah. it go to them. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm particularly thinking about the juxtaposition of the way that Percy and Annabeth are, I think, the two oldest people there. The way that they're, like, mm-hmm. watching over everybody. They have this trauma that no one else has that they took on sort of because they were falling, but also sort of so that no one else would have to because somebody had to seal the other end. It's like making them reflect about their parental figures. I I don't know. There's so much richness in this about the idea of like taking up obligations and sacrificing mentorship, yielding. Getting older. (laughs) Getting older. Let's talk about that. Yes, bring back the yielding. I miss the yielding. (laughs) (laughs) Percy looking at the stars and the constellations that Annabeth taught him. Oh, I get annoyed at that line for one reason and one reason only. Mm. He doesn't specifically point out the huntress. <laughs> bugs me every single time. I'm like, it's such an easy callback. Why isn't it that? As everyone knows from that very famous Tumblr post, Zoe is the grandchild of Yopetus. And so when Bob says, say hello to the stars for me. Oh, Oh. It's to make you more pointy by reminding oh. you that she's up there. It's okay. He left a little bit. He left a little bit open for us. Yeah, that was so much. We just went on such a journey. I feel that weirdly, even though this is the appropriate way to end the book, like the last chapter is very excellent, but I also feel that we have not adequately reflected on truly the massive material that we've just gone through. I think that the way that we did like two weeks and our recording was very sporadic, like we've been working on this book Mm -hmm. for such a long time. It's almost like, it's hard to remember how truly how much plot and story we went through and character growth of every single character in this book. Yes. Everyone has had really an interesting and relevant journey. Almost everyone. Well, okay. Interesting and relevant, not in the sense that all of them are stories that I would tell my children, but like interesting and relevant in the sense of like, wow, a lot happened. Mostly good, but some of them weird, but also worthy of attacking. worked his <laughs> butt off to make sure that everyone had an arc in this book. Even if it was an arc that we don't particularly like, <laughs> everyone changed. <laughs> they're real. They're all hefty. They're serious. I kind of want to do a separate reflection episode that's just... I think we definitely should. ...recollecting our thoughts. <laughs> definitely but that's the end of the book we got there any final thoughts from Ta-da. you owen i remember reading somewhere that the whole the like the reason Persebeth isn't a point of view in the next book in boo is because in boo boo i nickname them all <laughs> um they aren't theories in there is because rick was like they're supposed to relinquish that they have to do everything. It's no longer them against the world. 
it's us against the universe. <laughs> Any superb kind of against the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because of that quote that Annabeth, the quote from Annabeth's POV before this set of chapters, where she says basically the hardest thing for a child of Athena to learn is that you can't do everything. Yeah. And that sometimes you have to let other people take over. Yeah. It really is like the perfect intersection of like their two fatal flaws, like personal loyalty and pride. Both of them are really about just trying to do all of the work themselves, but they cannot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll miss you, Percy's perspective. Oh, I feel like I'm it. graduating all over again. <laughs> Wait, I'm so sad. No, can we go back? I'm so sad. I don't want to do this. For some reason, I feel like you need the uh, book closing sound effect. Wait, you're so right. That was very satisfying. Wow. Well, thanks so much for being here, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of us. We made it here. We'll see you guys next week for some more reflection on this book. And make sure that you follow Owen at through underscore mist on Instagram and Twitter, right? No, just Instagram. Just Instagram. I don't Twitter. Make sure you follow that Owen like at through place. underscore mist. Listen to his show. We'll link it in the show notes. Anytime you ever want deep dive on an, on a topic Owen hasn't addressed yet, reach out to him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just message me. Just message me. It will go on my list. I've got a list. Yeah, and if you guys want to chime in with your final thoughts on house of hades um you can type it in our spotify question section or you can send us a voice memo on anchor and we'll maybe include that in our next episode see you guys there